Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the Innovation in Government sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Randy Wood, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector Sales for Akamai. Randy, welcome to the program. Jason, good to be here. Before we get started, let me set a little context for our discussion. Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent has mentioned several times over the last year about a new zero-trust pilot kicking off sometime in the near future. What it entails, how it will work, well, that's still unclear. But the growth of this concept of creating a network that trusts no one and every user must be authenticated is real. The idea of zero-trust networks dates back to the concepts first detailed when public key infrastructures were PKI, Common Access Cards, CACs. Personal identity verification, PIV cards, really came into the federal market almost 20 years ago. The idea was to have one authoritative source of an employee's identity that is connected to specific roles and responsibilities when it comes to applications and data. Now, zero trust means a lot more than just identity. It's a way to move the perimeter defenses out to the edge of the person versus just the network. Because with the ever-growing list of devices connected to your agency's network, the emergence of OT, or operational technology, not just information technology, and... As the cyber threat and wide acceptance of cloud computing continues to grow, enabling a zero-trust network is not only possible, but absolutely necessary. And that's where my guest comes in. He'll tell us why zero-trust architecture is so important and how we can get there. Once again, my guest is Randy Wood, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector Sales for Akamai. So, Randy, let's start at the beginning. Zero-trust, how do you define it? Let's let's give just a little bit more background than what I gave. Zero-trust, as you mentioned, is not new. It's a five-year-old concept, sort of came out of Forrester, a Forrester analyst five years ago, and it's really a a simple idea with respect to cybersecurity that trust is not an attribute of a location. That is, just because someone is uh, inside a trusted perimeter, uh, we should not grant them trust to to all applications and all data. Zero trust also is based on the idea that we're operating under an old, outdated paradigm with respect to network security. That is, the network and the perimeter have traditionally defined the boundaries of security. And uh, and we know that the way that the government's working today in a cloud, on-prem, hybrid sort of fashion, that that model doesn't work. That's not representative of how government employees do their work, uh, where they reside or where those applications reside. So zero trust is just what you stated. It's the idea of trust no one, trust no device, trust no application, and authenticate and authorize absolutely everyone um, independent of where they are or what device they have. One of the things about this idea of trust nobody, but the boundaries have moved, I think it goes a long way toward this idea of what defense means, right? You, you, this idea that the when and if, right? It's not if you'll be hacked, it's it's when you'll be hacked. That's right. And then this idea also of the, the weakest link is the person. What will you click on? What Not necessarily the weakest link is the hacker that breaks into your network or the, the port. So is that the emergence of zero trust is in, in many ways reaction to this changing landscape, as you said, cloud, hybrid cloud and the like. Is that why people are paying more attention today? For sure. But also, it's I think it's the importance of the application. Really, increasingly, the application is the lifeblood of the organization, right? It's all about, in terms of how we do our jobs, how the government agencies do their jobs, it's increasingly application-focused. And so what really comes to the surface then in that in this sort of new paradigm is two things, identity and applications. And so let's authenticate 
and let's uh, and let's create authorization f- based on identity on an application by application basis. And that's different than how we'd previously operated the the sort of conventional paradigm that we know for the last 15 or 20 years. That's a big change for agencies. Are you seeing them get their head around this? I mean, I, we hear about zero trust a lot in the community, you go to a conference and there's a panel, but do agencies really understand what that means? I don't think so. This is a huge change in how we think, how we architect, how we solve, you know, solve this problem. And so, you know, the first step for a lot of agencies is to admit, and this is a big admission, that the way we've been doing things, what we've been doing with respect to security in this firewall VPN centric world is today not the right way to do it. That that's a huge admission for someone to make because our thinking has been so and such supportive of how this has been done in for the last 20 years. Do you get a sense of why then we're talking about it now? What, what, what has changed? Is it just the cloud? I mean, everything can be blamed back to the cloud? I suppose for a couple of reasons, the cloud to be sure. I mean, this, you know, the, the government itself is legitimizing the movement to the cloud. It's happening. And what's more, the, the government and government agencies are under attack. And uh, the attackers are, are increasingly creative and uh, and finding new vulnerabilities and and again the the traditional perimeters these these firewall VPN centric perimeters are are simply not the answer in this application centric world and so I think it's and it's something we've talked about for a few years with respect to technology and zero trust implementation these are things that we can do today there's technology that's making this a reality one of the things about the the why now question also I think can can tag back to this acceptance of, I'll go back to this idea of the hackers are coming. We've seen this huge increase of the number of uh, attempts, the number of attacks, and there's only the defense, the moat, right? And the walls can only be so high, the moat can only be so deep, and eventually someone's going to get across. And if you can cordon off your network, this is this idea of protect the, the crown jewels. That seems to be what's also driving this is this if you will, since the OPM breach, the government's pushed towards, oh, we understand really what's high valued. Is that the other piece of this, that, that there's a better understanding of what the government needs to protect and why they need to protect it? A- absolutely, for sure. You know, the, the, we learned a lot about the OPM breach. It's talked about it. We studied it. There's there's a lot of th- thinking that, you know, a zero trust implementation, while maybe it wouldn't have eliminated that, it would have uh, certainly given, you know, better defensive posture. So I do think, you know, this idea of crown jewels, understanding and protecting the crown jewels and, ha- and having a better understanding is certainly at play here. But again, I go, I go back to the application and, uh, and what's under attack and, you know, how we, use te- how we can use technology to protect the very things that we interact with um, every day as part of our job. And it's that, it's that application sort of centric view of how we do our jobs. I want to put a, maybe a finer point on zero trust as well, and maybe you can help me with this. Zero trust is not a new technology. It's not a new concept in the sense of like, oh, put this zero trust thing in your network and you'll be better. It's really an umbrella term. And and maybe talk about what that umbrella, what comes under that umbrella. It probably depends on who you ask, right? From industry, there's a number of approaches to zero trust and and implementing, developing um, zero trust architectures. For Akamai, the way we go about this is an identity-aware proxy architecture, that's different than how you know a firewall-centric company might do it, but it's all about providing um, a proxy network application in the cloud that's identity-centric 
that provides authentication and authorization, again, on an application-by-application basis. So I suppose the answer is depends on who you ask. If you ask the guy from Akamai, it's that. It's a a cloud-based proxy focused on two things, identity and and applications. And it also deals, because one of the things that's been explained to me, and I thought this was interesting, is that if you look at a lot of the current initiatives from the federal government, whether it's a continuous diagnostics mitigation program or even TIC, which everyone loves to hate, or even if you look at the you know HSPD twelve you know PIV cards or, or common access cards, those are also fit under this umbrella of zero trust. It's each of the pieces creates a zero trust network. That's and, right. And I think that's what's impressed me is that the government no one no one has done a zero trust architecture or a zero trust network, but they all are putting the pieces in place. Is is that what you're starting to see with your customers? That is that is absolutely what we're starting to see. Um, again, some of this technology-driven, right? Three years ago, maybe we didn't have the the technical competency in terms of products and solutions to do it, and we, we do today. So we're having new and different and compelling conversations with customers. And based on that, the, the reality of this, customers are starting to understand and increasingly consider going about security, security architectures in a different way. Again, it's not just firewall VPN centric. In fact, you know, at, at Akamai, we're, we're fond of, it's almost a level of audacity. We say at some point we're going to eliminate the firewall, right? That's how irrelevant that becomes in our security posture because we're, we're adopting this zero trust architecture, which is focused on things other than what's defined that traditional security perimeter. What kind of conversations are you having with your federal customers about zero trust today? It's a reality. Uh, it's a reality again in terms of uh, of products that you know our point of view is uh, application proxy is a cloud-based application proxy is the right approach uh, again on that application by application basis but it's also a layered approach right it's not it's not just one thing and I think you sort of you hit on this a little bit Jason it's it's a number of things in terms of protecting DNS thwarting malware attacks bot protection web application firewall. So it's not just one thing together, it's a it's but it's having a comprehensive layered security conversation with our customers which is different than the way they've thought and implemented thought about and implemented security in the past. So it's not just one thing, it's a it's a number of things that contribute like you said to to a better zero trust architecture and security posture. Is that hard for your customers to get their head around this idea that we have to do something different than the past? And you think it would be easy because the past hasn't worked quite well enough. It's hard. It's because this is we've always thought about it one way. I spent almost 15 years at Cisco and in the early days talking about security and perimeter and firewalls, and that was the way it was. And this is a lot of customers have, have thought and implemented architectures built on that. So it's hard to change or think about changing that. It's almost it's heresy in some ways to think differently. What do you mean I have to get rid of a firewall and I do this differently? So it's it's a hard conversation. It's a it's a it's a tough journey. Interesting. It's a market by market conversation. So the state, local, and higher ed market is, and especially the higher ed market is responding in some ways um, and more aggressively and uh, and moving out at a faster pace. They understand in higher ed, you know, just DNS attacks alone. You know, malware and enterprise organizations. Ninety percent of how ma- uh, how malware moves is through DNS. So, getting a better handle on managing your DNS is really important in the higher ed space for obvious reasons. So, that's factors into a zero trust architecture. 
And, and just to put a finer point on that as well, the, the, for our audience who maybe aren't, aren't as familiar, you're talking about really network hopping, right? If I can get into your DNS and you're connected to 18 other networks, I can hop to look for the crown jewels. That's I mean, right. Exactly. Okay. Right. I, I appreciate that because sometimes we get lost in the, uh, the, not just the acronyms, right? If this was a DOD conversation, but also the, the technology. Sure. One of the things when you talk about zero trust, there's there's it's not just a cybersecurity benefit. There's a business benefit as well. Maybe describe a little bit about what some of those business benefits are. A couple stand out. The first one to me is you know, the move to the cloud is real. Adoption of zero trust concepts and technologies really accelerates this move to the cloud, this adoption of, of cloud technology. Again, because your applications aren't residing where they typically were, nor are your users. You know, it, Increasingly in the federal government, work is uh, what we do, not where we go. And so we need access to our application sort of independent of time and space and the device in front of us. And so zero trust really supports that. The second is a cloud-based proxy approach to zero trust tends to help eliminate these massive, complex, equipment-intensive security architectures, right? Because you're moving this into, again, a proxy cloud-type solution. It also, there's no... You know, no uncertainty about um, a shortage of security professionals. And so that helps really solve that problem for a lot of organizations moving forward. The final point I'd make is uh, with respect to time to understanding a breach, zero trust architectures uh, provide a lot of insight there because you're, again, uh, you're tracking on an application by user by application process. So you get far more insight into what's occurring in your in your security posture in your security organization on application basis. And so the time to understanding the breach is is greatly reduced. And is this because so much of this is, and I'm going to throw a term out there, SDN software-based, software-defined networking, so much of this is based on the software? Yeah, it is. it becomes a very software-intensive solution, to be sure. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, talk a little bit more about why uh, Zero Trust Network is so important. You're listening to the Discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Government is facing more cyber attacks than ever before. The traditional perimeter no longer exists. There is no inside or outside when it comes to detecting, defending, and deterring attacks. With every agency at risk, IT departments should be doubling down with a zero-trust approach to security. Akamai is a leader in mitigating malware, bot, and DDoS attacks and is trusted by all branches of the military and 14 cabinet-level agencies. To mitigate your next attack, visit akamai.com slash zero trust, a.k.a. MAI.com slash zero trust. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is Randy Wood, the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector Sales for Akamai. Now, Randy, for a break, we kind of were talking about what is a zero trust network, what is a zero trust architecture, why is it important, some of the benefits from a business perspective. You, you talked about the three big benefits. Adoption of cloud really accelerates that. You talked about reducing complexity, and then you talked about time to understanding breach. So those all sound great to me. Where do I start? I want to do it all. Give me a sense of how, if I'm an agency, what some of the recommendations, how, help me get started. I think the first place to start when we're when we're having this conversation and thinking about security differently is maybe do an assessment. Do a third-party kind of zero-trust focused assessment. There's a number of organizations, companies that do that, that, that focus really on the principles of zero-trust. So that's the first place to start. Second is there's this idea of um, accumulation of technical debt. And so my advice would be stop accumulating technical debt. And the best way to do that is to adopt a DevSecOps 
sort of way of application development. You know, we're, we're all about DevOps and being mindful of security in that conversation. So as we create modern applications, and a lot of agencies are on this journey for modern modern uh, application development, be mindful of web and cloud application development and and um, and minimize the amount of technical debt that, that we create by not using a modern application approach. And then finally, the low-hanging fruit are those current web cloud-enabled applications begin to migrate those applications into a zero-trust model. Again, whatever approach that, uh, that a, an agency decides to take, take a, an application-by-application approach to the low-hanging web-enabled applications today. For me, that's three kind of great, easy things to do for agencies. And a third-party assessment, let me start with number one, really is looking at how ready an agency is for the zero-trust network. Do you have do you know what you have on your network? Do you know who's on your network? What's your active directory look like? I imagine there's those pieces and parts to, to get you started. Yeah, it becomes it's very it becomes very identity because identity identity authentication and authorization are are table stakes for what we're talking about here. So how do you authenticate and authorize? What's your identity strategy? Do you have a single sign-on strategy? Single sign-on's important. What's your do you have a two-factor authentication strategy? So identity focus to be sure, kind of get a sense of what the current perimeter looks like, like how big a job is this and then again from an application perspective because it's about it's all about the application what's that level of effort going to take to to migrate those applications recommendation number two stop your technical debt easily said than done obviously but that really goes back to this big push across the government it modernization this idea of stop throwing good money after bad and get out of the, the the legacy systems when it comes to zero trust architecture is is there anything in there that people should be really f- more aware of than other i mean they say that you know part of the the benefit of modernization is cybersecurity that's one of the big hooks that the administration this one and the last one have been using with that's congress right. so so but it's not it's not so easy to be like stop paying money on on legacy systems As new applications are either built from the built from the ground up or refactored we need to pay more attention to the security aspect of that. Security in applications has almost always been an afterthought. And so what we're saying now in that second recommendation is as you as agencies adopt a DevSecOps sort of view of the world and, and SOP, be mindful of the security aspect of that application. So it's not an afterthought. Uh, an easy thing is the identity aspect of that. Are you set up to, to use current and, and future identity authorization and authentication techniques and controls for that application. And that lends itself really nicely into, again, uh, a zero trust migration implementation. Now, we could go down a whole path on identity, and I, and I won't take you down too far, but that's interesting. You, you bring up, are you set up to use the future? And we've seen this with the login.gov effort at GSA. You've seen this uh, over at VA with they're using IDME. There's several organizations or concepts or, or or services, if you will, that are out there. Akamai and, and, and identity. How where do you fit in with all this? The discussion. Are you 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 would buy that that third party service too? I imagine, or do you have your own? Well, so I would say yes to both. In some cases, we've created our own. You know, single sign on is is pretty. This idea of password fatigue is is real. This is a real problem. And so, single sign on is this is how we do work at Akamai. Uh, now we can integrate with third party to be sure as part of our zero trust solution or use and implement the things that we have or in some cases and we do this today in the federal government create custom type uh, identity authorization access controls and mechanisms single sign-on for example so uh, we can sort of play across across the board 
And then finally, the third piece of that is is go after the the stuff that's ready today. I imagine you got to start small. You're going to tell me start small and, and and then do some pilots and some tests. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, shake it out, find out uh, what works, what doesn't work. There, there's a lot of easy things. I think in most agencies today, uh, where you could create that pilot. And the common denominator here as agencies sort of take on the the zero trust journey is um, with respect to experience, do no harm. Because the the best experience plus the the worst kind of security equals no adoption, right? It's just too hard. So anyhow, that experience has to be top of mind as agencies go about this. When you talk about IT modernization and you talk about this idea of zero trust, a lot of times we think internally just for the government employees, but there's an external piece as well. And, and maybe if you can talk about how this also applies to the citizen as as agencies are pushing out, for instance, citizen new services, there's got to be a zero trust on the front end too. Can you apply a zero trust to the citizen side of the equation? Yeah, you, you absolutely have to. I mean, so much of what the government does, especially civilian government, is citizen services, right? And increasingly, this is delivered via, you know, an electronic type experience, an internet experience. And so, again, for me, what I aspire as a citizen interacting with a government service or application is the best experience. And part of that experience is, is um, you know, transparent security. I want the security to be there. I don't want it to be a big hassle, a big hindrance, something that I have to, you know, navigate around. I just want it to be sort of an elegant, transparent thing. So, yeah, the applications that we expose to citizens I think need to, to to conform and subscribe to that that same zero trust model where security is there and it's the best that we can provide while not impeding the experience I have with the application. As you talk to more agencies, as you see them starting to go down this path, and again, as we talked about maybe earlier, there's not a lot of agencies who are starting to use this yet. Where are we heading with this? I mean, in three to five years from now, are we going to all have zero trust or are we going to have you know one trust, right? Like when when can we get to zero? I don't think three to five years is ambitious. I think the stakes are so high. I mean, I, you know, I said it previously, agencies are under attack. They know they're under attack. And so I think you're going to see a lot of this zero trust really come to fruition, in certainly in the next three to five years. I think you see different implementations. There's different vendors that, like I said, go about it in a different way. Uh, it's all focused on the same goal. And I think the journey kind of looks the same with respect to how we think about security differently. Again, it doesn't become that perimeter focused. You know, the perimeter is gone now. And so regardless of how you implement a zero trust architecture, I think all those attributes sort of look the same. But I think agencies start start to do, the, do this in the next three years. Are you seeing this in other sectors? You mentioned higher ed, you mentioned the state and local. What about the private sector? I know you're public sector sales, but can you talk maybe a little bit about what you're seeing outside the federal market in terms of zero trust? The pace of innovation and adoption in the commercial enterprise sector is greater. It, it, it almost always is. And then uh, specifically within the financial sector, for example, I mean, they're real thought leaders and tend to lead the way. So at, so at Akamai, uh, security sales, security business, and zero trust sort of thinking and adoption is increasingly a big, a really big, important part of our business outside, of, certainly outside the public sector. But within that financial services sector, these guys are leading the way. Do you get a sense that that's 
because of their attack the most, you right. If you the old adage, you where's the money? You go you go where the money is and financial service. So so they have to kind of take on this this idea. Because the other place that I was was expecting you to maybe talk about it is the intelligence community or DoD. I mean, DoD was first out of the gate with the common access card, the two factor authentication. So is 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 that why maybe that's the banking is is a, a far ahead because they have the most to protect? So for sure. I mean, the stakes are high, right? The the, the stakes are certainly high with respect to national security, but in the financial institution, the stakes are, are really high. And the other thing I would say is they have something that the federal government doesn't necessarily have, and that's return to shareholder. So that return to shareholder is really, really important. And cybersecurity is the most top of mind thing in that industry right now, uh, because you know the threats are so new and varied in, in the pace of that. And these guys have to keep up. They have to stay ahead of it. Zero trust is giving them a new way of solving that problem and sort of outpacing what those attackers uh, what those attackers look like. Randy, I've very much enjoyed the conversation. Let me broaden out the, the topics. We've talked a lot about zero trust. C- cyber's huge. There's so many pieces and parts of cybersecurity. Are there other trends or there other areas that you're seeing a lot of interest from federal agencies around cyber? Is there anything you would maybe point to beyond zero trust? Again, I've talked about you know a couple things. D- DDoS mitigation. DDoS mitigation is is huge, right? That's a huge problem. And there's, again, a couple of competing ways that uh, that vendors go about solving that. DDoS mitigation, to be sure. Uh, just web access protection, web access firewall, I think is uh, is very top of mind. In some cases, bot, bot management, bot identification, and, and bot mitigation. But it all sort of, I think, under the zero trust model, comes back up under that umbrella that you've described before. It can all be talked about sort of in a similar context. The biggest holes that I continue to hear agencies is the people, right? Is clicking on a link, is the spear phishing is much better than the days of the Nigerian, you know, asking you for a thousand dollars and they'll give you $10 million seems to be over. Right. And it's much more directed. Wait, that's not legit? No, I don't think it is. <laughs> you, you correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert. But at the same time, agencies, you know, the workforce is not necessarily as cognizant of, the, of when to click and when not to click. Do you get a sense that Zero Trust will help address that workforce challenge that, that will continue forever because we are people? I think what Zero Trust does in the scenario you described is uh, it helps remedy part two of what happens there. So you can't, you, it's hard to stop humans from doing what humans are going to do, I suppose. But once that's been done, now how do you provide a, a better level of authorization, authentication into the application, the data that that perpetrator, that attacker aspires to get, right? So the escalation of one's credentials is something that's addressed by zero trust. I can't stop the first part, but I can can make better and remedy the second part. And that's the idea of zero trust. Even though you're within my perimeter, I have controls and mechanisms and services to stop the next bad thing you do. And that's because my roles and responsibilities are limited. If I'm only able to see certain data, but not edit it or remove it or, or change it, that would limit the attacker. Where today, under the current set of defenses, once I'm in, I'm in. That's exactly and, and that's right. That's the biggest change. That's exactly the point, right? It's how I started that trust is not an attribute of location. Just because I'm trusted within a perimeter doesn't mean anything in a zero trust model. I, I trust no one. I look at every application device in person as if they are external to the organization, and I'm going to authenticate, authorize, again, on that application-by-application basis. Randy, we're just about out of time, but but thank you so much for taking the time today. What's the one thing that agencies should keep in mind as we finish up our conversation on Zero Trust? 
I think zero trust is a reality. Again, we've been talking about it for a number of years. I think in terms of technology and products and solutions, and not just from Akamai, from a number of vendors, it's a reality. And uh, and I think agency security leaders need to recognize that this old way of thinking is just not going to work in the future. It's just not. It's not going to support what these agencies are trying to do, what the work- workforce expects in terms of application, application experience, and a secure application experience. Change is coming. Change Without is a coming. doubt. Let me thank my guest. Randy Wood is the Vice President of U.S. Public Sector Sales for Akamai. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.